So we've introduced a Friday podcast on Afternoon Drive with the aim of introducing books that may not make it onto the mainstream reading list. This week's author interview is with American writer Beth Macy, who's told the detailed true story of two African-American brothers who were kidnapped and displayed as circus freaks and whose mother endured a 28-year struggle to get them back. It's called True Vine, Two Brothers, A Kidnapping and a Mother's Quest. This was our conversation with Beth Macy. This book is really slow brewed and, and required years of patience in gestation, uh, Beth. What kept you so captivated by the story for so long that you were prepared to wait to be able to tell it? Well, it was really the only way I was going to be able to tell it. You know, the first time I heard about the story of these two brothers who had been kidnapped and sold to the circus because of their albinism, um, I was warned that their caretaker, who was this... Um, very strong matriarchal uh, aunt, or I'm sorry, uh, niece of theirs, Mm -hmm. um, didn't want anybody anywhere near them. And in fact, the first time I asked if I could do a story, I waltzed into this restaurant that she owned. It was a soul food restaurant called The Goody Shop. And she pointed to a sign that a customer had made for her. And it was on the wall. And the sign said, sit down and shut up. (laughs) And then, (laughs) so that's like early 1990s. And you know, her food was incredible and, and she turned out to be really incredible too. It just took me a while to figure that out. And so then gradually, you know, it's like any bit of long form journalism, it all rests on getting the people you're interviewing to trust you and, and make it a real, you know, a real relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think part of why she eventually trusted me is I sort of went away but then I kept keep coming back because I liked her and I liked her food. And then so by the time, you know, I'm ready to write her book proposal, she's like, yeah, I guess you're okay. That took 25 years. Wow. Well done. Well done. I mean, you, you yeah. depict Roanoke so well and the kind of hodgepodge way it came about in the 1800s, almost like adult Lego built on a bog. And, and of course, competing oh, with... a great description. That is just... <laughs> I love that. Uh, of course, competing with whites in this new society were black people who were both despised for who they were, but needed very much for the purpose they served. Exactly. Just, um, you know, had all the worst jobs, were always paid um, the lowest wages, were told during the height of Jim Crow in the 19 teens and 20s that they could only live on certain blocks. And um, of course, when these brothers go missing, their mother, who is illiterate because she was never able to go to school because Mm -hmm. she worked in the system of sharecropping, you know, that was common after slavery you know, went to the police and nobody in power lifted a finger to help her. And that was just the way it was back then. It's it's almost just hard to even imagine it. And yet there are still elders in our community who have very vivid memories of, you know, a time not unlike that. Yeah. In this context, of course, we know it was the appearance of the Muse brothers that attracted their kidnapper in the first place. How well do we know the facts of how young George and Willie were taken? Yeah, well, so there was there are, are differing uh, accounts of the story. Uh, some people believe that their mother um, sold them, um, allowed them to go off with the promoter. Uh, some some of the data actually point to the fact that she may have allowed them to go temporarily, expected them to be brought back, and of course they weren't. The family has always said 
And George and Willie themselves said that they were kidnapped from a tobacco field um, and uh, and then told that their mother was dead and to quit crying and asking to go home. And, you know, we have no real they didn't lie about anything else. We have no reason to believe that they would make up such a story like that. Mm-hmm. And so that was part of the, you know, the struggle with this story was, you know, having to be a journalist and hear to the facts, but also to point out um that there are there are several stories about it that it's part of the lore and that indeed for the first 80 years of this story kind of being out there no one ever asked the family what they thought nobody ever interviewed them even though the brothers were featured in the media Mm. prominently at a time when the circus was the number one form of entertainment you know they were written about thousands of times and even this case even this this crime was written about many times but no one ever went to the family and got their side of the story. And so that's, you know, that's what I set out to do. Hmm. You, you've recreated this world of circuses in which the boys existed as both an intriguing and a cruel space in which they underwent many transformations, many incarnations. How do you think yeah. the Muse brothers experienced this traveling and being displayed in the ways they were? Yeah, I think at the beginning it was really frightening. I mean, to be told your mother was dead, to have, you know, they were within the sideshow, they traveled within the sideshow realm. And some people, some experts in that era say, you know, they looked out for one another, the different, you know, like, they were all outsiders, so they looked out for one another. Um, But George and Willie always said that, you know, it was a pretty scary time. They weren't, they weren't ever allowed to go to school, so they never learned to read and write also. And, um, and that when their mother finally got them back and they were then able to be paid for their work and Mm -hmm. to share that compensation with their family back at home that was still very much struggling, then they were okay with it. And you can, if if you look at the photos in the book, you see them from the, you know, when they're teenagers and they look scared to death in their twenties, they're still kind of fragile. And then you see them after that pinnacle moment in 1927, when they begin to have some agency in their lives and they look more comfortable. There's even a photo um, of them in the circus backyard, which is sort of like the version of backstage, you know, where they're um, standing in the 1940s uh, and, and George has his hand on a white woman who's a circus performer's shoulder, which would have been very unusual. But you can tell that that's how comfortable they are with each other. And I think that sort of, you know, their career sort of paralleled Jim Crow and civil rights. And so that by the time they retire in the early 60s, you see the beginning of um, the, the sideshow is is almost done and, the, and disability rights are a thing. Child labor rights are are now a thing, mm-hmm. and and their careers sort of sort of sort of went, came and ebbed and flowed with with the times um, or, or the themes of the circus and the way we saw entertainment and the mm-hmm. way we saw different differences in human beings. You know, uh, it's it's difficult and disturbing reading this with without 21st century sensibilities because w- when you look at the story and you see how the Muse brothers were humiliated as circus freaks, but but, but you realize they also enjoyed a certain amount of recognition, which they, they seemed to enjoy. And mm-hmm. even after they returned home as adults, they'd still go back to their circus travels intermittently and in some ways their mother seemed proud of them did that strike oh, yeah. you as, as strange or contradictory um it 
It does. And different people have different reactions to it. I was giving a talk to a predominantly African-American audience not long ago, and um, an elderly woman stood up and scolded me. She said, you called what they did a career. I don't see that as a career because Mm -hmm. they didn't really have a choice in it. And I said, well, they, once they did have a choice in it and, and they continued to do it for pay, they considered it a career. And when you say that, that takes their agency and their dignity away. And, but it was, you know, it's, it's a tough thing sometimes to talk about. And it's painful still for African-Americans who grew up in that era. um, When, you know, in Virginia in, uh, in the fifties, they closed the schools 50s and 60s, they closed the schools rather than integrate them in some communities. And this woman had experienced that. Mm. And, and it, you know, and she had a problem also with, um, did I have a right as a white reporter to tell this story? How did you, know? you respond to that question, Beth? Well, I didn't have to respond because Nancy was there in the room. Uh, Nancy is the, 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 the niece and caregiver of the Muse Brothers and, and, and the central character in the contemporary storyline. And she stood up and she was quite angry and offended. And she said, well, you know, I was a participant in this book and I, you know, Beth shared with me every new fact that she learned and allowed me to comment on it and comment on it and was really offended, actually ended up leaving the event um, in in anger. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, so I just realized like we still really in America, we don't really know how to talk about these issues. You know, I felt like, I felt like I was being asked to be a counselor almost in Mm -hmm. the, in this room. And I was ill-equipped even, even, even after all this work and, um, you know, telling a story that I hope helps, helps people empathize and see, see the other side and see that, you know, we're, there's still so many, events in our headlines that that go back to this original sin of slavery you know in our country and we still haven't quite learned how to talk about it to me this is another way to talk about it but it's very hard yeah yeah indeed and and it's uh, not that different for us in south africa here yeah you've you've got lots of these strong women in your book women like nancy you just spoke about the book is also a wonderful (laughs) tribute to the twins mother specifically who pursued them tried to use the law repeatedly to punish their kidnappers and and eventually brought them back home yes i mean she was just so remarkable once you know initially when i read the stories about how she got them back and they didn't want to let them go eight police officers came out um you know they were performing in roanoke at the time ringling brothers had them and they didn't want to let them go and she said those are my children i get i want to take them home the commonwealth attorney which is the top prosecutor i didn't know this when i initially read the articles but once i delved in to see how to to sort of understand what she was up against under i learned that he had been the founding member of the KKK in Roanoke, which at the time was the largest clan in the state. And so when you put it against that, here's this illiterate maid, uh, really wasn't even supposed to be where she was because she was, you know, should have been standing in the back. She claims her sons. And then against just sort of with nothing going for her, 
it, it manages to get them home without being arrested. And it was mm-hmm. quite remarkable. And then not only that, spends the rest of her life until for the next 13 years trying to get justice for her family mm-hmm. in whatever way she can. I mean, mm-hmm. she just never, ever gave up on them. And they rewarded her for that. And um, and they never forgot her and to, to the point where, you know, at the end of the book, you see him. He's 108 years old mm-hmm. and he's still talking about the bravery yeah. of his mother. Yeah, and he's got that, that photo of her, even though he's blind. I mean, by the, by yes. the end of their long lives, and they were very long lives, both brothers mm-hmm. still appeared to be quite affable men, despite all that had happened to them. How do you make sense yes. of that, Beth? Well, I think I think they had faith, you know. I think they had faith in, in the Lord and in um, family. Um, they were... By the, by the time they retired, because of their mother's actions legally that forced the circus to pay up again and again when they didn't want to, they had a house all bought and paid for, a nice home. Wow. And they had they were sort of uh, enveloped by the, the younger women in their family, who, including Nancy, who yes. would become the new patriarch, mm-hmm. and then took such wonderful care of Willie at the end of his days. And I interviewed the caregivers that would go in the house when she was working to sort of check in on them. And... And they all said, you know, he was like this wise elder that even though he couldn't see them, he could tell by the tone of their voice, even by the way their foot landed on the stairs coming up to his room to take care of him. He could tell whether they were on a good day or bad day. Uh And and just I think to have gone through all that struggle and have and to have come out on the other side and, and to have seen so many things that people in his situation wouldn't have seen. I mean, they were among the first uh, black people in Roanoke, uh, several people told me to ever, they knew to ever ride a plane. They traveled the world. They performed in front of the queen of England, you know, and then just to 108 years later to, to just be reflecting on that and to be an inspiration to younger people. I mean, I, I just think is he was a remarkable person. Beth Macy, how lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much for making the time to speak to us on the afternoon drive. So that was the interview we did with the American author of that book on True Vine and uh, the brothers, Willie and George Muse, who were kidnapped and who uh, spent their time touring the world as essentially circus freaks.